As we just sang, you alone, Lord Jesus, are worthy of our worship. And so we come before you this morning grateful that we can come together to hear your word, to be, through your grace, transformed by it. And so we make our prayer this morning, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, open our eyes to this truth, but do so in a way that, Lord, we don't just hear it, but we are hearts to change, to follow you. Come do above and beyond what we could all ask or imagine. Meet each one where they are. Show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I've heard numerous people say over the past week, how, am I kind of echoing? Okay. All right. It's just me. I've heard many people say how they just long to hear some good news today. Can you identify with that? You, 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 know, you turn the news on and you just go, gosh, how much, how much worse is I going to get? And, and just challenges here and around the world. And we can go, is there any good news that we can latch on to? Well, y'all, I got a great story to start off with to tell you of some really, really good news. This was shared by a couple in our community group last week. They were talking about how they were driving to Florida this summer for vacation. And so they were in their car all loaded up. Their, their girls had already gone and were already down there at the beach. And somewhere in Alabama, they had car problems, and their car broke down. Literally the kind of thing, you know, when everything in, in new cars today, they just shut off, and you can barely get the steering wheel kind of off the road. Well, they were able to get it off the highway, and somehow they ended up on a dirt road. Remember how hot it was this summer? It was 1.30 in the afternoon. There they were, stranded in their car on this dirt road in the middle of nowhere in Alabama, windows are down. All of a sudden, this guy drives by in his pickup truck, slows down, stops, and he kind of rolls his window down. And he goes, you guys need help? You, y'all in trouble? And they said, well, yeah, our car just broke down, and we don't really know what to do. And he goes, all right, I'll be right back. So he went back home down the road where his home was and got some jumper cables, came back, and in the process of trying to jump the car, he made sure my friend's wife sat in his truck with the air conditioning going. So my friend and this guy start trying to figure out what's wrong with the car. Battery would not jump. And so they tried some other things. And this had gone on for well over a couple of hours. And then the man said, you know what? Let's go try a new battery. Maybe you need new batteries. So he takes my friend into the town to a shop, buys a battery. The man bought the battery, brings it back to their car, helps them install the battery, the new battery in the car. Didn't work. So they left it there. They went back into town, and another journey into town, and they talked to a mechanic at one of the shops. And this was a new car, a foreign car, so the mechanic didn't really know what to do with that. So this guy drives them back to their car, picks up the old battery, goes back into town, third trip into town with them. And at this point, my friend was like, can I pay for your gas, please? Remember how expensive it was in the summer? He goes, can I, can I do something for you? And this man just kept saying, no, I just, no, I just want to help you out. So they get back to the car, and the afternoon was going now. And, and this man who had driven up said, listen, let me, let me get a tow truck to get your car towed to Birmingham to the dealership, and then we'll figure out what to do next. Well, he knew my friends were on their way to Florida. And so what he did is he picked up his phone in the car, and he called his wife. He said, honey, Listen, you, you know those people that you passed that I was working, trying to help get their car fixed. Well, 
they got to get to Florida. So we're gonna, can we, is it okay with you if we take them to Florida tonight? She goes, sure, I'll be ready in five minutes. <laughs> and, and you're kind of going, who does something like this to perfect, you know, you may know them, but to perfect strangers? So um, he gets the, our friends in his truck. They go to the house. They pick up the wife's Toyota Camry, drive back to where their car had broken down. They put everything from their car into hers. Now, however they made everything fit from an SUV into a Toyota Camry, they were packed in that car. And by this time, it was 10 o'clock at night. So he drove them two hours to Florida to the house that they were renting for the week. They got there around midnight, and my friend said, will you please, we've got an extra bed, and will you please come stay with us tonight? And the couple was like, no, we're heading back home. We're, we're going back to Alabama. So they went back and got back at 2 in the morning. And in all of this, my friend kept saying, let me buy your gas. Let me buy your food. Let me do this. I said, no. He said, you're offending me. He said, look, it's my joy to get to do this for you. Wow. I would even take it beyond that, and I would say that man had tremendous compassion on my friends. He didn't know them from Adam, saw their need, and did something about it, and he actually disadvantaged himself for 12 hours to help these strangers. But it was, he said, to his joy. Friends, what a story. How we need to see things like that happening more and more around us. Talk about living a life for the flourishing of others. I mean, my friends came alive when this guy did. They're just still marveling, and and it's beginning to change their life as they're looking for ways that they can love and serve others. So there's two questions I want us to look at this morning as we unpack the gospel reading, this story that's known by many of us. The first question is this, do you have eyes to see the needs of those around you? Do you have eyes to see the needs of those around you? And the second one follows it in this way. Is your heart prepared to meet those needs? We might see something, but is your heart prepared? Is it seasoned, if you will, to go and meet those needs of those people around you? So what I want to do for the next few minutes is unpack this parable that's known by many of us here, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So I want to unpack this parable, and then I want to wrap it up by looking at three takeaways for you and me today. So let me start by reading part of it, the very beginning of it. And we see this. Jesus is having this, this conversation uh, with a lawyer. But you've got to see the, 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 what, what, who this man really is. It's not like a lawyer like we would see in like an attorney today. This was a biblical scholar, okay? So this is someone who would know the Old Testament Scriptures inside and out. That's kind of the context. Okay, so we read this in verse 25. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I want you to think about that question that he asked. Now, who is my neighbor? Do you think he was asking sincerely because he wanted to make sure that he really knew who his neighbors were so he could really care for them? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think that's what he's doing at all. You see, he wasn't caring about his neighbor. What this lawyer, what this guy was really wanting is wanted to know, Jesus, tell me the parameters. Just tell me what I got to do, the minimum, right, 
and I'll do it and go about my day and know that I am justified in your eyes. The challenge here is this. His heart wasn't for people. He wanted to see how could he justify himself? How could he make himself right before God by doing the bare minimum? You know, I think a lot of us can fall into that trap where we may see a need or we say, just tell me what to do. (laughs) Just tell me what that need is. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me where to write a check and so I can be on about it, right? And we can fall into that trap saying, just tell me the duty, but the heart behind it is not there. We've never engaged our heart. And so what Jesus does here with this man is masterful, as Jesus does when he confronts people, right? He knows exactly how to hit our heart. <laughs> he knows how to expose the rawness of what's really there, the bl- things that we're blind to. You see, he doesn't tell this lawyer who his neighbor is. Did you notice that? Do you know what he does? We see this at the end of this parable. He tells the story about what it's like to be a neighbor, Right? And that's what we're going to unpack in a few minutes. So here's how the story goes. This man was, or a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to you and me, but I've actually been there and I've seen this road and it's a pretty ominous road. It's not one of those that you necessarily want to go walk on very often. It starts in Jerusalem, goes down to Jericho with an elevation of about 2,600 feet above sea level and goes down to 800 feet below sea level. It's a pretty significant decline. It's on the side of a cliff where there are caves built in, you know, caves carved into this this cliff. And robbers often hung out there. It's the kind of place where you can liken it to, uh, you don't want to walk through the inner city of Chicago at 2 in the morning. You know? Dangerous, right? So this was a dangerous road that they were traveling on. And obviously, a man had been walking on it, and robbers stripped him, they beat him, they left him on the side of the road for dead. Okay, so in this story, two individuals walk up, first a priest and then a Levite. They see the man lying there, and they walk on the other side, and they keep going. You may wonder, why did they do that? Why didn't they stop to help? Well, there's a little-known law in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament that that states this. He that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean for seven days. Now, you can look at that and think, well, gosh, you know what? They had all these religious duties they were trying to do, and if if they touched that dead body, they would be unclean, kind of have to quarantine, if you will, for seven days, and think about what an inconvenience that would be for them, right? I don't necessarily think that was what was going on in their minds. Maybe so. I think there's something deeper going on that they were thinking about. You see, they had just come from Jerusalem, and this was a priest and a Levite, two religious men, likely doing their religious duties in the synagogue, serving the Lord. But guess what? They forgot what it was all about. They forgot who the God they were serving was and what he calls us to. They forgot what this lawyer named of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You see, friends, when we truly know God, when we love God in this way with our hearts and minds, the whole of our lives, guess what? The heart of God is going to be reflected in our lives. 
the ways of God are going to be reflected in our lives. You see, God's Word wasn't written for us to follow a bunch of laws. That's what these religious men were all about. They were like the Pharisees. Just tell me the law and I'll do it. But they forgot the greater heart of the law, the heart of God and His compassion and love toward people. You see, God's Word is written in such a way not that we would look and say, tell me the minimum I've got to do, but it was written in such a way that our lives would be so shaped around it that through our lives, the heart of God, the ways of God would be seen to the people that we encounter throughout the day. Those guys missed it. But then up walks a Samaritan. Now, it doesn't mean a whole lot for you and me in our cultural context today, but back then when, when this lawyer was hearing Jesus say, up comes a Samaritan, he would have been shocked, right? Because Jews hated Samaritans. They didn't just hate them, they despised them. They were, excuse me, seen as like outcasts. And so what Jesus is doing here is saying, this man came and helped that man on the road. They would have never imagined that a Samaritan would have had mercy on someone lying on the side of the road. But this person did. And it says these words, Jesus said, the Samaritan saw the man and he had compassion on him. I want to talk about that word for a minute. Because a lot of times when we think of compassion, we think of perhaps that feeling that we get in our gut, just like in here, when you're watching something on the news, maybe it's a really tragic story or there's somebody desperately in need and and you're kind of, your heart goes out to them, right? You ever had that feeling? Your heart goes out and you've got compassion on them, right? You, You feel that feeling. But it just stops there, doesn't it? It stops there because you didn't act on it. You just watched the rest of the show or whatever and and kept going. That's not compassion. Not the way the the Greek word compassion is really composed of. You see, this word compassion that Jesus uses doesn't just stop at that feeling that we get. When you you have that feeling of of seeing a need, someone else's need, it's having the feeling but then doing something about it. There's an action that's got to be attributed if it truly is compassion. You can read in the Gospels, and many times you'll read where Jesus was with a crowd, and he saw people, and it says he had compassion on them. You see, he had that stirring deep in his gut. He had that feeling, but the compassion meant that he stepped out and actually met that need, literally that Jesus came and suffered along with those that were in need. That's what the word compassion really means. So I want you to hear this. True compassion is seeing the need and being moved and then doing something about it. Let me say that again because we can only sometimes just hear part of it. It's seeing the need. It's being stirred in our hearts, in our inward being, and then it's moving to do something about it. That's exactly what this Samaritan does, isn't it? He, he gets on the ground, and with oil and wine that he had, he pours it on this man's wounds. And then, if you will, he, he owns this man's issues, his problems. He gets him on his donkey, and he takes him to the nearest town to take care of him, saying that he'll pay anything that's needed for, his, for him, for his recovery. That's compassion. Now, what are the takeaways from this story? Because, again, it's a story that many of us are familiar with. But I want to hit three takeaways. The first is this. 
What Jesus is doing here is he's just shown us what true compassion really is. True compassion is seeing the need, being stirred in our inward being, and going and doing something about it. The Samaritan in this story is what the Hebrews would have called a goel. G-O-E-L, a goel. You know what a goel is? It's a redeemer. We see that in the book of Ruth. You see, this man, this Samaritan, didn't just help. He owned the greater need, excuse me, and he paid the price that this man's life would be restored. Talk about living for the flourishing of another, where we disadvantage ourselves to help and literally step in to meet the need of another. It's where compassion comes in, where we and they experience greater life and greater hope. Friends, what we see in this parable of the Good Samaritan, it's really about the Good Samaritan, Jesus. Now think about it. We are that man on the side of the road, though what's different is we're actually dead. We're dead in our sin. We can do nothing to revive ourselves. We are dead, and Jesus comes along. And as this Goel, as this Redeemer, he sees us. And he doesn't just see and move on. He stops, he sees, he feels our need. Could you imagine that the Son of God feeling compassion for people who sin against him? But that's exactly what Jesus did. And he came and he paid our price by his own blood on the cross that you and I would come alive. Friends, talk about compassion. That's our Redeemer. That's exactly what he came to do for you and me in that time of utter despair and need. He came He didn't just help us. He paid the price that you and I could not pay so that you and I could come alive to the life that he ultimately created and designed for us. That, friends, is a redeemer and compassion to the nth degree. And here's what I want us to see here. As people whose lives have been changed by the compassion of Jesus, our calling now, you want to know what your calling is, our calling is to respond and go and do likewise. Lay down our lives for others. Live lives of compassion where we're not just seeing a need, but we're actually taking that need on and doing something about it. That's the first takeaway. The second is this. It's about allowing the compassion of Jesus to impact our hearts daily. So let me ask you this question. How has being forgiven and love beyond what you could ever imagine, how is that shaping your life every day? How is being forgiven, given grace upon grace, how do you see that shaping your life every day? I wonder, do you see it shaping your life every day? Friends, if we're going to live as Christ, if we're going to live with hearts of compassion, what we need is our heart We need to see the compassion of Jesus for us every single day. What I would say is this. I would say, as as A.W. Tozer put it, we need an arresting encounter with the risen Savior every day. And do you know how that comes? It comes when you and I recognize our sin. When we recognize not just what we did however many years ago that God saved us from, but that every single day we sin in offensive ways against God and against others. That when we see our sin, we name it for what it is, and we turn our eyes quickly to the cross, 
where we're reminded of what Jesus did for us and the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. Friends, when you and I live in that way, we can't help but have our hearts stirred with compassion because we recognize daily the compassion that Jesus lavishes on us. I love the song that we sang as we entered into worship, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Listen to these words. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to to thee. Friends, I want to ask you, do you recognize that you are a debtor every day? That our hearts wander? They really do. But see, when we turn back to the God of grace, when the cross really becomes front and center in our lives, we experience that compassion. And then that begins to change our lives. When you know, when I know that we've been given grace upon grace, it's almost like, friends, when this really hits you, it's almost like we can't help but respond like Paul did in Romans 11 when he wrote these incredible words, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Friends, don't forget the grace. Don't diminish God's grace. Don't abuse God's grace. Lean into it and let him so soften your heart with his compassion that your life will begin to be a life lived with compassion to those around you. That's the second takeaway. And the last one is this. What does it look like to put all this into practice? <laughs> how, do we, how do we live this out? What does that really look like for you and me? Well, I think we find it summed up in the words of the epistle that was read earlier this morning. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. Listen to what John wrote. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This isn't just a, well, I'll think about doing that. This is a real call on our lives as followers of Jesus, that we would be people who lay our lives down for others. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. How we love, how we, we put this gospel, put feet on it, we put hands to it. Kimberly and I have some friends at this church. I can't say their names, but, but they have for years sought to live their lives. They get up in the morning and they ask God, who's in need around us today? And they begin to ask God and he puts various people on their hearts and they go each day to, to love and, and word and deed. And it's amazing the stories you hear from this couple. Friends, what does it look like? Let me ask you this. Do you have an imagination of what it looks like to love in deed and in truth? Do you have an imagination of what it looks like to help meet needs of those around you? I want to read this, and I'm going to close with this. This is from a book that a man named Rodney Stark wrote many years ago titled The Rise of Christianity. And in it, he, he noted what early Christians in the early church, how they lived their lives in such a way in very difficult circumstances in the cities in which they lived, how they lived their lives, where the communities were truly transformed. Listen to what he wrote. 
he wrote that Christians, Christians revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many of the urgent urban problems of these cities. To cities filled with the homeless, impoverished, and strangers, Christians offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christians provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violence, ethnic strife, Christians offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemic, fires, and earthquakes, Christians offered effective nursing services. Thus, these early Christians ministered as a transformative movement that arose in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality of life in the Roman Empire. I don't want you to miss that. These Christians saw, they saw what was going on in the cities in which they lived. They got involved. They didn't stay in their nice little home. They saw, they knew the grace given to them. And they couldn't help but go out and bring this truth. And it actually transformed cities. Can you believe that? Let me ask you this. Do you believe that if we seek to live in this way, out of hearts of compassion, that broken places in Little Rock can be renewed? Do you believe that? Do you really? Because, friends, if we did, we would be about that work. And that's what I hope that you begin to hear in this series, Living for the Flourishing of Others, that God has placed us here intentionally where we live with eyes to see the needs of those around us and that we would literally begin to step in those communities where we are disadvantaging ourselves so that others could be advantaged, where we see the gospel really taking shape. My prayer is this is that as you leave here today, whether it's tonight, tomorrow, and the days ahead, that you would come back to this passage and ask the Lord this question, what are you calling me to? How are you calling me to step in in ways that I never have before? God, give me eyes to see, a vision to have. Friends, that we would do it in community with one another. Get together with others here at St. Andrews and start praying. And let's see what God wants to do as we bring the very presence of the risen Savior to this community around us where we truly see things that are broken restored. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this is one of those passages that I know for many of us, and it is with me, that is so well known. Lord, it's that way with a lot of your word. But would you shake us up now? Would you take these well-known truths and stir in us renewed vision and passion to really live out your word. So Jesus, thank you that you are the one who has brought, you have lavished your compassion on us. So may we, as you said in this parable, go and do likewise to see the community around us restored. Give us a vision. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand.